The Nick Abbott Habit. First off, allow me to mention last weekend's Sunday Times front page. It was mostly filled with a picture of Kevin Spacey, and when I saw it from a distance, I thought, well, it can't be another accuser coming forward unless they're really, really famous. So maybe he's performed his last, bowed out and gone to the great stage in the sky. But no, the most important story in the world, according to the front page of the Sunday Times, was that when he went to Buckingham Palace as the guest of some prince or other, he might have sat on the Queen's throne. As though that's the most important thing he's been accused of. I'm sorry if this makes me sound unpatriotic, but who the hell cares about the Queen's chair? It's the most disgraceful breach of protocol to have sat in Her Majesty's chair. Only Her Majesty may sit on Her Majesty's chair, and on and on and on. Kevin Spacey's had enough accusers to fill a theatre. Who gives a flying frog about a chair? At this point, I think it's just you and me who haven't been accused of doing anything untoward with people we shouldn't order. We're surrounded by perverts. Speaking of Donald Trump, the echoing reverberations of what happened since the last podcast are still not being heard around the world. A brief period of beautiful silence permeated the cacophony of stupidity that emanates from the Twitter feed of the great orange galump because an employee deactivated Donald Trump's Twitter account on their last day at work. Some say that person should be recommended for the Nobel Peace Prize. It certainly was peaceful online. For a brief period, the internet became a safe space for people that do not wear a Make America Great Again hat and do not think that Ancient Orange in the White House is the bestest president ever, ever, ever. The bullshit stream dried up. The number of tweets of self-congratulation went way down and some bile was drained from the swamp. The president's Twitter account was down for 11 minutes. Best 11 minutes ever. 11 whole minutes of peace and calm before the one-man sewage pipe of self-love and infantile rage started to spray again. It only took 11 minutes for Twitter to turn the stupid back on. During the brief period of downtime, anyone going to the Trump Twitter page saw the message, sorry, that page doesn't exist. And you might have thought, well, maybe it was all a bad dream. I mean, no one in their right mind would think that a bright orange narcissistic old con man from the telly could actually fool enough people to become leader of the free world. How ridiculous would that be? And then it all came rushing back. Twitter initially said the account had been inadvertently deactivated due to human error by a Twitter employee. Didn't seem like an error to me, sounded more like correcting one. Twitter said, The account was down for 11 minutes and has since been restored. We are continuing to investigate and are taking steps to prevent this from happening again. What, to prevent it from being restored again? They should definitely investigate how to prevent that. Why is he still allowed to be on there? He must have broken every rule in Twitter's terms and conditions. It's hard to know, because, like every Twitter user, I have never read the terms and conditions, despite legally stating that I have. He must have transgressed at least some rules. He's a giant troll for a start. Everything he tweets is offensive and rude and childish. Mind you, if they kicked off every Twitter user that was offensive and rude and childish, they'd have no users left. The company finally admitted that the outage was due to an employee's action on their final day in the job. Trump, of course, managed to make it into another thing that underlines the glory that is Donald. He said that the incident meant that his tweeting was having an impact. Yes, like flying a plane into a mountain has an impact. There were rumours that Trump had been hacked, because despite all that fury that he vented about Hillary Clinton and her unsecured email account, Trump actually uses an old, unsecured Android phone instead of trading it for an encrypted device that the Secret Service want him to use. He's like a rock star that likes to use his old beaten-up guitar, despite being able to afford a shiny new one. 
Trump's old phone is what he wrote his most offensive messages to women with. He can't get rid of that. It's got sentimental value. As I speak, he's on an Asian tour, which is in no way him escaping the US as the Russia investigations start to fell those around him like skittles. And he's getting so desperate now, he actually said that he asked Vlad the Insaner whether he had tried to influence the American election, and Vlad said no, which was good enough for Donny. Case closed. Move along. Nothing to see here. He's an amazing man. I almost admire him. Who else could convince his own people? Or at least those slack of jaw and empty of thought that he's a patriot when, so far, Trump's said that the American newspapers are lying and the American TV news shows are lying and the American climate scientists are lying and the CIA are lying and the FBI are lying and the people in his own party that don't agree with him about everything are lying. But Vladimir Putin, great guy, I totally believe in. I can't believe his name didn't come up with the Paradise Papers leak. A lot of those around him came up. That was another release of papers from a firm that caters for the super-rich to organise their finances so as to maximise their efficiency, or whatever is the phrase these people use to justify what your average non-expert person in the street might think should put you in jail. We should get that bongo out of you too to come on and explain how he switches his earnings to the bottom of a frozen lake on a moon circling the planet Neptune for tax reasons and still manages to cloak himself in the mantle of sainthood. Fuck you, bongo! You know the New York billionaire Leona Hemsley once famously said, We don't pay taxes, only the little people pay taxes. I don't know if that's how she spoke, but that's the voice I'm going to give her. She was shortly afterwards found guilty of tax evasion, among other things, and was sentenced to 16 years in prison. But after the court realised she was a rich white person, she only served 19 months. Only the little people served time, too. That was in 1994 in America. But the same kind of people are still doing the same kind of things, it's just that they're getting away with it. They use arrangements set up by genius accountants and legal professionals that are so mind-bogglingly complex that Einstein would have to sit down with a cold compress on his brow if he ever tried to figure one of them out. Mostly these schemes are kept secret from us. Secrecy is the key to their success. That way, for instance, people can use offshore money that's been hidden from the taxman to influence politicians and governments and steer the country in a direction of their choosing without actually contributing to that country. Remind you of anyone? The old notion that there's one rule for the rich and another for the rest of us is not just conspiracy theory nonsense, it's provably true. And the Paradise Papers follow the Panama Papers and the Luxembourg leaks and show to what lengths the international super-rich will go to avoid paying what a reasonable person might describe as their fair share. And the guilty trotted out the exact same excuse they always give. We've heard the same thing word for word whenever one of these individuals or companies gets found out. We pay the full amount of tax applicable in every jurisdiction in which we operate, and we arrange our affairs completely within the law. Which translates as we ply one country off against another and strong-arm them to change laws in our favour, and we pay huge amounts to accounting and legal firms to comb through the regulations and find ever more opaque and clandestine ways of skipping round the rules without actually breaking any of them. And they can only do this because no one in authority had ever thought that anyone would employ such tactics, so they never thought to outlaw them. I mean, who would think that someone could give all their earnings away to a company in the Cayman Islands that exists only in name and then appoint themselves as the sole financial advisor for that fake company and then tell that company that the best way to spend its money 
is to pay for houses and sports cars and holidays for the person that gave them that money in the first place. By using this method of sending their money on a 14,000-mile round trip, the person does not pay any tax on their earnings, because on the face of it, they've given them away to that fake company in the Cayman Islands. Technically, that's not illegal, because no one on authority had the imagination to predict that anyone would do such a thing. The Cayman Islands are one of many tax havens that operate under the British flag. We are the pre-eminent nation on earth for the rich and shameless to hide their wealth and launder their money. Our own head of state got caught up in this latest scandal. A great chunk of the Queen's half a billion pound personal fortune is invested in tax havens. God bless you, ma'am. When that little nugget came out, the usual royal hem sniffers leapt into action to defend her. They said, Disgraceful that the good name of Her Majesty had been sullied by association with such schemes, and Her Majesty could not possibly know where it was going, and Her Majesty is above suspicion and beyond reproach. The same apologists will tell us how well-informed is Her Majesty on all matters and what a tight grip she has on the purse strings, right up to the point where she's tainted by financial scandal and then she magically morphs into a dotty old lady who doesn't know where her money is. The same tricks pulled by business people who speak glowingly of their ability to make millions from their titanic deal-making acumen and genius and when found out to have been cheating the taxman, then claim to be the clueless dupes of dodgy financial advisers. It weren't me. I ain't done nothing. The one thing that seems certain is that the latest revelation of how the rich avoid paying tax will have absolutely no effect whatsoever. The public will quickly grow bored of reading the same story and will seek out other amusements to get excited about, like the John Lewis Christmas TV ad. Or whatever Princess Sparkles wore to glad and toothless flag wavers at some royal walkabout. We little people will continue to be the only ones that pay taxes because they're taken from our wages before we get our money. And if you've ever wondered why so much tax is taken from your earnings, and yet the NHS is in crisis and the police are so understaffed they can't investigate your break-in and the potholes in the road don't get fixed, just remember that all the tax that is avoided on the £6 trillion kept offshore has to be made up by you. You are subsidising the lifestyles of the haves and the have-mores. It would be polite for them to say that they're grateful, but I imagine they're too busy laughing. Speaking of the royals... Prince William has warned that the future of wildlife is under threat. He said, In my lifetime I have seen global wildlife populations decline by over half. And he's right. Wildlife populations have declined by over half. Many of them were personally shot by members of his own family. He said that the root of the problem is rapid population growth. If you people could just keep your hands off each other for five minutes, the world would be a more spacious place. People are having too many children, and Wills wanted to explain that to us before he has to take some time off to help choose a nanny for his third child. An organisation that campaigns for smaller families for the benefit of the children and the earth wrote to him, urging him and Princess Smiles a lot to forego having a third kid. Two is a more sustainable number, they said. But when you've a guaranteed income of unimaginable wealth without having to do anything for it, and pretty much everything you want is provided free... Any number of children is sustainable. So they went ahead and planned for a third one anyway. In other words, don't do as I do, do as I say. Will said, We're going to have to work much harder and think much deeper if we are to ensure that human beings and the other species of animal with which we share this planet can continue to coexist. Well, sorry to be the bearer of bad news, you worship, but we can't coexist. Humans will eat anything they like the taste of and kill anything they don't like the look of. 
Members of the animal kingdom had better be tasty or cute, because that's all we'll have room for after we do as we've done in London and concrete over the planet to build high-rise executive flatlets for the international criminal super-rich to launder all the money they nicked. In the future, maybe we'll create android animals to remind ourselves of the good old days when David Attenborough had something to point a camera at. The prince said, Africa's rapidly growing population is predicted to more than double by 2050, a staggering increase of three and a half million people a month. You know, if the current sex scandals can do anything to arrest that rate of multiplication by making flirting unacceptable, then at least there will have been something positive come out of it. Will said, urbanisation, infrastructure development and cultivation, all good things in themselves, but they have a terrible impact unless we begin to plan and to take measures now. But we won't plan or take measures until after the point at which it's too late. Planning and taking measures now is not what we do. Humans employ the just-in-time principle. Politicians almost always work on the basis that doing something now for the long term will cost them in the short term. So they cross their fingers, do nothing, and hope it doesn't all go belly up while they're still in office. Wills was right about much of what he said. It just seems a bit rich coming from a member of one of the most profligate and wasteful families on earth. His grandmother has got eight vast homes to choose from, three of which are castles, and all of which are permanently cleaned and heated and maintained to her exact specifications. His father's got five homes and travels about on his own personal train. If they want to go to lunch, the family take a helicopter. There's nothing sustainable about them. If the whole world lived the life of the royal family, we'd run out of resources on this planet by next weekend, and I'm not sure there'd be enough planets in the solar system to provide for us. We'd have to go searching for land in the next galaxy, and that's far, far away. In the meantime, it's probably better to be satisfied with a simpler life and just two kids, for the benefit of the one planet that we don't have to commute a billion miles to get to. And finally, what to do if you run foul of the rules that relate to your home or your school children? You could, A, make sure that you comply with any regulations for fear of the consequences, or B, refuse to pay any attention, claim that it's your right to do whatever you want and invite the Daily Mail into your house in the mistaken belief that they would write something sympathetic about your plight. There's a family that faces eviction from their home in Blackpool after a dispute with elderly neighbours over Dylan, their 13-year-old son, using a trampoline in the garden. Well, the term garden's a bit misleading. It looks more like a desolate concrete patch where you might put a broken washing machine to disintegrate in the rain. Not only is the family liable to be made homeless, the mother also faces the threat of a 20 grand fine if Dylan continues to bounce outside their house. The noise it makes has annoyed the neighbours so much that the council has had to step in just six weeks after they moved in. Margaret's the pensioner next door. She's begged for peace and quiet, but begging don't get you much these days. Not when set against the right to do anything you want, which seems to be the credo of the Jeremy Kyle world we're living in. Margaret says the ten-foot trampoline was pushed up against her wall and has made her life hellish, damaged a light fitting in her home and allowed youngsters to peer through her stairs landing window, presumably in half-second glances at the apex of their bounce. The council said that after exhausting all other options, they've given the family an official warning. But no need. Dylan's mum Amanda has agreed to restrain her child, get rid of the trampoline and has vowed to be a good neighbour from this moment on. Just kidding. She invited the mail along, expecting them to be on her side. Perhaps she has never read the Daily Mail. They did what they usually do in such circumstances and asked her to pose next to the trampoline with a council letter and look sad. She said, I'm sure this ain't right. Me own child can't play in his own garden. It's upset me. I can't stop crying. All he's doing is bouncing on the trampoline with his friends. 
Probably not Ashley Sands either. But that's the problem. Trampolines increase the vocal level of children to supersonic jet takeoff volume. They scream and they scream and they scream, but parents seem to have selective deafness when it comes to their own children making a noise. And for some reason, every other house in the country's got one of these blooming things in their backyard. The only thing that makes children scream loud is a swimming pool. Don't buy a house next to one. I think you'll find that's excellent advice. Old Lady Margaret next door said not only does she have to put up with the racket of kids bouncing and yelling, she's also had eggs thrown at her home and has been on the end of lewd and abusive comments. Does that sound like the actions of a 13-year-old who is in a pupil referral unit, an establishment that houses children excluded from normal schools? Of course not! It's bound to have been another unrelated child. The mother Amanda said the legal letter from the council had left her son Dylan too scared to go back on the trampoline. And I think I speak for all people who have neighbours when I say, yes, Amanda, that's the idea. I will bounce back on LBC Friday and Saturday nights at ten. Meanwhile, you can get the books of the columns of what I write on the Kindle page on Amazon, the latest of which is a picture of me about to be beheaded by one of the scarier fishes from the new David Attenborough programme. And I'll be back for another podcast in the last week of November. And until then, I appreciate your attention. A Big Things Media Production. <laughs> Big Things!